Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, well you, the way I did the beginning here, you think I first time I did the show. I, I don't know. It was just one of those things. I'll just blame it on the rain. Well, we've had a lot of rain here uh, the last uh, day or so, which is very welcome. And we'll see if we can jazz up our spring that feeds our little creek and get that baby refreshed. Hope you're feeling all right this morning. It is the uh, the 8th of February. Is that right? Yeah, February 8th. Is it? Yeah, February 8th. 2023, and this is a Wednesday morning. Generally, the first Wednesday brings us to the world of money, the real world of money, with Fred Dashevsky, good friend and uh, uh, the um, head guy there at U.S. Coin Capital. But we had a freeze apocalypse again um, last week, and so we had no heat and no, no, not nothing. <laughs> Never mind the internet; we didn't have any electricity. It was one of those days. After Fred, here we can only stay for about an hour with Fred, but. He's got things to do, but then we're going to come on, come right back, and we have lots to talk about. We're going to do some things with fasting that I thought would be fun and to clue you in on so you can take part. And so that's coming up after in about an hour or so. Our phone number, if you care to join us, is 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Fred Dashevsky is in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Fred is the... Um, Head guy there, U.S. Coin Capital, former partner of Andrew Goss of the Real World of Money fame. And um, Fred, good morning. How are things there where you are? How are well, good morning, Patrick. Things are wonderful here in South Carolina. I mean, I'm glad that the uh, power situation has resolved itself out there in well, Texas. Yeah, yeah. We just they got this thing called ergot. I don't know if you've heard of them. Something. Yes. Yeah. Have you heard of them? Well. Well, it became famous, what was it, last year? Two years. When you had that whole power two, grid go down two years yeah, ago? Two years, yeah. But the, it's the same thing this year. I mean, they turned off our power for, I don't know, 12 hours, 15 hours. Nobody said why wow. or anything. It was the Chinese balloon. <laughs> That's right. It was the Chinese. Blame it on the Chinese. It was, it was a Chinese balloon. <laughs> Well, what's I your heard, fr- uh, Remax has launched its own, you know, in, in response. Oh, they, they're going to do their own? <laughs> I think they should. Fred uh, uh, takes care of U.S. Coin Capital, which is a company uh, that uh, rebooted then from uh, their SDL with Andrew Goss, that he was partners with Andrew for, what, uh, 30 years, Fred, or so, and then uh, now U.S. Coin Capital is, uh, has uh, renovated themselves, and they have a nice staff up there, and you all buy and sell gold coins for a living. That's what you do, you all. We do. That's we what do. you do. Constitutional, U.S.-issued government, real money. Oh, man, yeah, that's the real stuff. You don't get. You don't mess around for new people. Fred doesn't mess around with the gold bars and bricks and silver things because it's a whole it's a whole other animal, isn't it? It's a whole... It is. It, you know, they, they used to be fairly similar. I mean, uh, I'm a firm fan of anything physical better than paper money. So for those that do accumulate, you know, any form of gold, and uh, we generally refer to that side of the world as bullion. Bullion. You know, and that includes the bars, the bricks, the ingots, and even some of the round coin-shaped items like um, the South African Krugerrand or the Canadian Maple Leaf. Although they are round and coin-shaped, they are actually technically bullion. And the only reason that they're separated is that the government treats them differently. So the bullion world 
is sort of uh, incorporated as a commodity the same way we deal with oil or mm-hmm. frozen orange juice or anything like that. It's a regular commodity. So it falls under the regulatory issues of the federal government. So for those people that deal in it, let's say, for example, somebody wants to sell me a bar of gold. Federal law requires me to take that social security number from that party. I have to file a 1099B with internal revenue that includes their name, address, social security number, <laughs> Good and you. the amount of the check that I wrote to them. And because we're dealing in bullion, I am also required by federal law to file AML rules, anti-money laundering, uh, which means that I have to somehow know my customer bought that gold mm. with legal money. And if it turns out that was not the case, now I'm subject to criminal penalties because somehow they've deemed that I've facilitated in money laundering. So all this happens within the world of bullion. And, and people always say, well, I've bought bullion and no one's asked me anything. Well, it's when you sell it that they ask for that private information. And if a dealer does not ask for that, they're violating federal law. So I just found that looking at that, I, I'm sort of a, you know, a person that's always believed in the sovereignty of American citizenry and government interference should be as limited as possible you know mm-hmm. uh, obviously they have technical terms and political terms for people who think the way i do but i've always believed in limited government um you know do the least amount possible to do the things government is supposed to do but stay out of my life otherwise and the u.s coin market is free of all of these government regulations so you know someone can sell me a million dollars worth of pre-1933 20 gold coins i write them a check and that's the end of my obligation if that person wishes to report a gain or loss, it's up to them. I'm not forced to require to file any uh, federal government forms. Plus, uh, the one thing that always separated the two products for me was the fixed supply of pre-1933 American gold coins. So not only are they made of gold, but they can never make any more of them. And I find that very interesting to, uh, that the public can own something, a commodity, take delivery of it. You know, unlike oil that people invest in, no one gets barrels of oil shipped on a truck and dropped off in their backyard. You don't own physical barrels of oil. You can invest in it, but you own a paper contract. But with gold, you can actually own the physical entity itself. And if you do it in the pre-33 form, I just ship it to you. And again, that's where it ends as far as reporting. And since they can never make any more of them, you know, not only can they grow in value because the underlying price of the metal they're made of is increasing, but as they get rarer, their value can also increase that way as well. So I think it's much more beneficial. Now, now the the uh, the mint does, they do mint just uh, coins that are not numismatic, right? That are silver, don't they? I mean, you can buy like silver things from the mint, an ounce of silver. They make what we call modern bullion coins. Modern uh, the bullion. most popular would be silver eagles or American gold eagles, and they are treated as bullion. So although they are coming from the U.S. Mint, it gets just a little bit confusing because they also sometimes carry denominations, like the silver eagle says $1 on it, and the American gold eagle, which is a one-ounce gold coin, says $50 on it. And people say, well, that means it's a legal currency. Well, technically, it was granted a different status than the original coins. It was granted this sort of status like, you know, I've always said, like when they grant an actor, uh, you know, a doctorate from a college that he didn't actually earn, but they will refer to him as a doctor. Those sort of uh, impartial statuses that they create, they did that for the bullion products. So the American Eagles 
are effectively a bullion product, hmm. even though they, they are minted from the U.S. government and they are in the coin shape. What do they come up with the idea of a coin for fifty dollars, a gold coin? I don't. Know. What do yeah, they, what do they come up with that number? What do they come up with that? They, it's kind of odd, you know. The government's official price for gold was stuck at thirty-five or thirty-seven dollars an ounce, even though, of course, the actual price had gone up. Mm -hmm. But the government had never raised its official legal status price for gold, and somehow came up with the idea that in the modern world, the one-ounce gold coin, you know, should carry a fifty-dollar denomination. But then it gets strange. They they made a half-ounce coin that carries a twenty-five dollar, but then when they cut it down to a quarter, instead of being twelve fifty, it's ten dollars. <laughs> And then the 10th ounce coin is $5. So the math really didn't make a lot of sense. It was more like they were just assigning uh, a name. Some kind of value for it. Uh, randomly, as opposed to actually saying that this is any kind of, uh, you know, status of value mm -hmm. or, you know, a monetary number that has any kind of real uh, consequence to it. Sort of an interesting quirk. But, you know, listen, this is your U.S. government at work. Mm -hmm. So Every couple of years, the... The story comes out, we should just do a trillion-dollar coin. Did you see it? It's, it came out again a couple sure. of weeks ago. I've been talking about I mean, this since the 90s. Like, you know, I mean, it seems like so strange you would even even contemplate something. like. Even, I mean, I mean, I don't even get how that could even be talked about. And, I mean... Well, the way it comes up is because there are little quirks within the legal laws as they're written. And, you know, one of them technically suggests that it's, it's you know, possible for the U.S. Treasury to issue a trillion dollar coin, let's say, made out of platinum or something. Whatever. You know, but every time the Treasury has talked about this or Treasury secretaries have referred to it, they've always kind of, you know, laughed it off as a gimmick. You know, somebody had uncovered, the, you know, kind of the legal issue of suggesting that there was a way to suggest that the lawyers could line up and say, we have an authority here that's not being utilized, and technically we can create this trillion-dollar coin. And the old idea back when they first had come up with this back in the 90s, they were going to make one coin large enough to pay off all of the federal government debt, you know, which in all the late 90s we were looking at maybe $5.5 trillion. They were going to do one coin uh, for $5.5 <laughs> Right, and then pay off the entire debt, you know. But again, it was just a gimmick. I, I'm really kind of troubled by the idea that um, this is what we're looking at to to resolve the problems that we have economically. You know, some sort of like you know, uh, sleight of hand gimmick to come up with a financial resolution to a 32 trillion dollar national debt problem. I think this is sort of nuts. But yeah. listen, I, I think. You know, the public should be a bit aggravated at, at Congress at this point for abrogating their responsibility to protect the public. We've allowed the government to run up debt that is so large right now that I honestly believe, and I'm saying this for the first time in my 40-year career, I don't believe there's any more political solutions left to solve the economic problems. You just can't do it. There are no options left. I don't think the president can provide a plan any kind of economic uh, issue that's going to reduce the government spending or deficits that's ever going to actually be able to address the issue. You know, we heard the State of the Union last night. For those that did listen to it, the State of the Union is strong, according to our president. Yeah. Well. But our fiscal situation is pathetic. You know, we're $32 trillion in debt. We're paying a trillion and a half dollars in interest payments. And both Congress, uh, is, well, Republicans and Democrats seem to agree at least on one thing. Uh, although it became kind of a joke and a little bit of a haphazard part of the speech, that they don't want to touch Social Security or Medicaid. So they're they're saying that that $77 trillion deficit there 
no one's going to bother to try to suggest that they're not going to make good on that. Somehow we're going to pay for that. And, of course, we can't do that through, through revenue. There's no way we can raise $100 trillion in revenue in the next decade. That's the 30-plus trillion in bonded debt and the $77 trillion hole between Social Security and Medicaid. We can't raise that $100 trillion in the next 10 years. We're going to have to print it. Sure. So I don't care what actions the government takes. I don't see any solution. Where, where does that $77 trillion number come from? Well, this gets really weird. Okay, so <laughs> the government has debt in two forms. One, they call bonded debt, and that's the right. actual bonds, treasury notes, um, and securities that have been physically issued from the U.S. Treasury that are in the hands of foreign investors, foreign governments, central banks, individual investors, mutual fund managers, pension account holders, and individual investors. These are the actual notes. People that own these bonds. bonds. Right. Of the U.S. government. That's the bonded debt. There's $31.6 or $7 trillion worth of those floating around that become due and payable that now we have to have the money to make good on in order not to default on those obligations. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the 90s, when Robert Rubin was Secretary of Treasury, he took $3 trillion from Social Security that was actual money, real money. That was in that trust fund, segregated for the public to protect them so that the money that has been taken from their paycheck week after week since the first job they ever had was secured by trust by the federal government, not to be used or touched for any other purpose. Instead, Robert Rubin took all of that money and spent it, put it into the federal government budget and utilized it to pay what government expenses that? in that era, 1990s. Well, I thought the Not what we did. didn't Andrew teach us that Fred that that back in LBJ they began taking the money out of the, uh, the Social Security trust little by little, but right. the massive amount of it happened during this period. It was mostly during the Clinton years, and you know what happened as a result of this is we hmm. put these bonds out for twenty five, thirty years, and guess what? Now it's thirty years later, and these bonds are coming due. and we don't have the money to pay it any more than we had then. We had a five trillion dollar debt then. We have a $31.5 trillion debt now, and we're supposed to be paying these debt obligations back because somehow they figured 30 years ago, by now, we would have figured out how to deal with this. Or Congress would have addressed the issue, cut the deficits down, come up with a revenue spending program, reduce government spending, raise taxes, but done something to fill this gap. So what happens is we have the bonded debt. These are the bonds we've just talked about. Right. But beyond that, there are these unfunded liabilities. These are obligations that the government has. It already has locked in. And it's, un it's interesting, but we need to recognize also that when we talk about this debt ceiling problem, this is money already spent. We're not discussing the idea of government getting access to new money to pay for future spending. We're talking about a check that's been written, that's been put in the mail, that just hasn't hit the account yet. But it's coming down any day now. The mail is going to get delivered, and that check's going to come back against the account. We have unfunded liabilities in the United States just between two of the federal trust funds, Social Security and Medicare, that total $77 trillion. That's the hole that we've created. We've continued to spend the money that we take in from those accounts that's supposed to be in a trust and segregated, and we're spending it in the current era. Hmm. 
because the government is deficit spending, so it doesn't have enough revenue from its normal resources, so it's gone into the piggy bank, and it's stealing from the public. I can't believe that there is more out, not more outrage from the general public about the fiduciary responsibilities of Congress and how they are not maintaining their obligations to the general public. So here we are now in 2023. The bonds that we issued back in the 1990s are coming due. We don't have the money. We've continued to add to this pile. And now we sit with between the bond debt and the unfunded liabilities, we're over $100 trillion. And that's just two of the government trust funds. There are 170 other government trust funds that are underfunded. Hmm. Boy, it doesn't sound good where we've got found ourselves. And uh, Fred Jashevsky's here. If you care to join us, 888-663-6386. And, you know, even the 32, Fred... If you look at all the money that's been created and borrowed, um, what for the last five or six years or so, I, I don't, I don't see that on the the thirty two. What am I missing here? I mean, uh, that you know, it's growing quickly. So yeah, but it wasn't growing very much. It's been like twenty nine or thirty for years. I didn't see it moving, and all, all this money with COVID and all this stuff, and I don't think there that 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 number could be accurate, could it? The thirty. Well, remember how they play this game right now. If the Federal Reserve steps in and buys up some of the obligations, well, temporarily it won't show up in the number because the Fed shifted it over to its own balance oh, sheet. Okay. Remember the Fed so, added yeah, all right. five and a half trillion. Okay. So they put it over there. But we don't add it onto our debt that we own the Fed. I think we just lost him, man. Oh God. Let me text him real quick here. Patrick Timpone, One Radio Network. I think we just lost uh, our internet. It's always something, folks. Uh, always something here. Hmm. You'll hear me? Oh, yeah. Now we came back, I think. We're back. I think. Okay, I hear you. Yeah, let me see. There we are. Um. You got it back? I'm still seeing myself frozen on the screen, but yeah, I do hear you. Let's see. Um, hold on. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so w- you're still frozen. Why are you frozen? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll just keep talking and it'll, it'll work itself out. Um, you think? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know what else to do. Um, I, what, what I don't rejoin. What I don't understand. So, what know, I don't understand is okay. Dollars. What we were talking about is so the the part that I missed. So when the when the Treasury allows the Federal Reserve Bank of New York to monetize the debt, like I say, let's just say Fred a billion dollars, it goes on the Fred's Fed's balance sheet, right? And we can see that has gone up a lot. But they don't add that debt that they owe the Fed onto the bonded debt. Well, they do add it to the bonded debt because they'll look at the amount of bonds that they have outstanding. Right. But if the Fed purchases those bonds, then effectively they're off the books. So, again, we can shift money around and play this shell game, you know, take the P and move it from one place to another and pretend it doesn't exist. But we're not really eliminating any of these obligations. We're merely just changing the accounting numbers and, you know, where it shows up on the ledger sheet. It's nonsense. Um, you know, the Fed intervening into the economy 
makes it appear sometimes as if the situation is far better than it is because you have this intervening entity taking trillions of dollars worth of obligations you know from the accounting processes and kind of hiding it on their own balance sheet temporarily until they have to address it themselves so you know it's an interesting gimmick that they play and it's it kind of complicated okay. but we're, we're not we're not advancing ourselves anyway you know, remember, we, we've gone from five and a half trillion in the late 90s to 30 trillion in the 2000s, 2020s. In 10 years, at this rate, we're going to have $50 trillion worth of bonded debt floating around. And the problem is, is this obligation is shifting to where a large amount of the holding of this debt isn't in the U.S. anymore as much as it was 20, 30 years ago. It's shifted a lot more to foreign countries. You know, China holds massive amounts of the U.S. government bonded debt. And, you know, this is sort of a dangerous game to play because if we don't address the problem, inevitably we have to print so much money. And, it, you know, it, it forces interest rates to go up when the Fed intervenes in the selling of bonds. I mean, look, they're, they're looking to sell about $35 billion worth of bonds today. And that's just current obligation debt they're trying to raise money. Just for. cash flow. And right? I'm, just cash flow. Yeah, just for cash flow. So I'm trying to understand like how this operates while the Federal Reserve says behind the scenes they're trying to unload five and a half trillion dollars worth of their own debt into the open market. They barely can sell thirty billion or so in an open auction. And you know, there are these reporters who rank the sale, you know, they grade them like A to E and you know, how good was the sale of bonds, how aggressive were the buyers, were they interested at these current interest rate levels or not? And sometimes they give it a C or a D and sometimes an A and you know if we're struggling just to sell the current amount of debt, how is the Federal Reserve going to try to unwind, what, $400 billion more every month into the open market for the next year or two to do what they suggest they're going to try to do, which is unwind the $5.5 trillion they hold in bonds? I don't see how any of that is really possible. Uh, it's, it's not possible. They're just going to keep... Uh, uh, Fred, let me do this. Um, I'm going to tell folks about your company. Why don't you uh, log off and log back on? Okay. We had... Uh, We've got some rain here, and the internet cut off, and it'll it froze them up. But I think it'll be fine if you just come back and come back on. Fred's co- Fred's company is U.S. Coin Capital, eight hundred eight seven eight two six four six. So you know the story that uh, we talk about with Fred and other people, um, month in month out, is that um, there's nothing good that's going to happen with this. Uh, let me see. I'm just telling you about your company. So uh, we think that gold and silver. Now I don't have your picture though. Gold and silver coins is just a really nice way to do it. You own them. There's no uh, third party in there. You put them in a safe or safe place, and um, you hold on to them. Um, Fred generally tells people. So I was just telling folks, Fred. Uh, generally, you. How long? Do you tell people that they, you know, because a lot of people want to buy gold and silver coins because they see it going up, right? And say, well, I, you know, I want to buy it so I can, you know, sell it in a, in a year or so and make some money. What is the minimum time that you generally give people um, to buy numismatic coins before they think they might have to sell them? What, what's... Well, normally I look at this more as a hedge against inflation and protection of wealth more than a way of generating quick overnight returns. Right. So although sometimes the silver prices and gold prices get very exciting because they, you know, they start jumping in price, I don't think the smart method 
is to try to speculate on short-term gains. I'm looking more for people to put money into gold and silver coins because my concern is, and I'm terrified, that people's wealth is being eroded without their recognition, but it does take time for inflation to chew away at money. I know Maria recommend a you know, four or five year hold period or longer. You know, Looking back, for example, when we were talking about the issues that occurred in the 90s, we were talking to people then and gold was $345 an ounce. Hmm. And, yeah. and people were saying, well, when is it going to cross 400? You know, I bought gold. It was 325 and it's, or 375, and it's, you know, slang, languishing here at 380 and 375. Is it going to ever get over 400? And now we sit with gold at 1,850, 1,870. You know, we're pushing 1,900 and 2,000. And the debt was 5 trillion then. And it's 30 plus trillion now. 10 years from now, it's going to increase much more rapidly. It's not going to take 20 years to go up as fast. It'll take a lot less time to grow more quickly. And I think we'll be at $50 trillion in debt within the next 10 years. And that means a massive increase in the amount of money that we're going to have to create. And that could push gold prices up 30, 40, 50%, 100% from where it is now easily. But I don't think this is something that people should buy today with the expectation of seeing massive growth in a month or you know even six months because we never know on a short-term basis what might happen no markets including gold and silver go straight up like the u.s dollar doesn't go straight up or straight down since we were talking back in october and the dollar index had hit 115 you know i, I made the statement then that i believe we had seen the peak of the u.s dollar strength uh, indicators to me were that it was going to start to slide in value against world currencies then it got down to as low as 101, you know, and then we had a recovery this week to 103 because a great jobs number came out on Friday. So short-term economic events impact for a moment the strength Makes of the, the dollar against stronger. the world currency. Yeah. Yeah. Gold goes down on the dollar going up. But the trend is the dollar is weakening, and the weaker it gets, the more expensive gold becomes. But I think this is a longer-term wealth protection process. It's great when short-term things happen and we make quick money, but I don't think that should be the expectation. Long term. So, um, but there, you know, nothing, nothing is for sure, but the, the, the scenario that you laid out with the, the amount of debt and, you know, could be 50 trillion and all that, it's, it's a pretty safe, yeah, pretty safe bet that, uh, that gold and silver long term will go a lot higher than are today, right? I mean, nothing. Well, sure. I mean, just it like just when we has had the to, right? In the nineties, when it was three to. and four hundred, you know, how will it be? And you know, if we end up with larger debt, and sure enough, you know, as we had gamed it out then, you know, we had never anticipated the numbers getting quite as large as they are. I think we'd only gone out to about twenty fifteen or twenty eighteen in our, you know, expectations. Hmm. And at that point, we were talking about an eighteen or nineteen trillion dollar national debt. And we thought that was incredible. And we knew that that would drive the price of gold up three or four times. Well, sure enough, you know, here we are now. Instead of the $18 trillion we thought, well, it did hit that, but then it surpassed it. Now we're at $30 trillion, and gold has gone from three fifty to eighteen fifty an ounce in the time frame. So the trend has continued, and it's going to continue that way because gold is denominated in the end in U.S. dollars. The weaker the U.S. dollar gets, the more expensive gold becomes. So for those people that are trying to hedge themselves against the progressively weaker dollar, it's great to accumulate physical assets in the form of gold and silver, specifically coins because of their fixed supply will perform best. But again, I think this is something people absolutely mm -hmm. need to have as a portion of their wealth going forward, because I think we have 
as a country, I think Congress has abrogated its responsibility to the general public. We really should be pushing back on that a lot harder. Uh, They have a fiscal responsibility, but, you know, they take current money that we pay in taxes and they immediately turn it into bonds. So the money gets used right away to purchase debt. And now we have bonded debt that floats out there that we have to repay somewhere down the line. But I'm, I'm laughing at the fact that I've been around long enough. I'm, you know, at that point now in my life. I remember thinking of these things back in the late 90s, and we were worried about, you know, when Treasury Secretary Rubin took the $3 trillion from Social Security and put it into debt in the form of bonds. And the idea was, well, we'll worry about it down the road. Well, here we are. We are down the road now. And there's been no resolution to the problem. It's gotten progressively worse. And at this point, with this deficit situation looming, where we have run out of money for two weeks now, the government has literally been out of money. They have stopped paying into the government services administration's trust fund for the past two weeks because they don't have the money. And they're telling government employees, suck it up. Hopefully, Congress will raise the debt limit. But if they don't, well, we won't have the money in your pension account that you've been waiting for your whole life working for because the government has spent it, even though it was supposed to be in trust, specifically allocated for the purpose of your retirement uh, we felt compelled to take that money, use it, spend it on the promise that somehow we'll make good on it down the road. If Congress cannot get along, and Republicans were fairly clear last night, there are things they will not let happen, and they want oh for the debt cuts. ceiling for the debt ceiling thing. Yeah, yeah. they want a lot of cuts. Well, they're the going to be able to use this as leverage to get some stuff done if they've got some kind of conservative blood in their veins. You know what I mean? So now we play <laughs> now we play chicken then with the economy. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened, yeah. right? Boy, so the Democrats have made it very clear they will not touch Social Security or Medicaid. And apparently the Republicans agreed last night to some degree. But the Republicans want huge cuts in the entitlements, which are now about 64 percent of the federal budget. Um, unless they get that, they may not agree to raise the debt limit. And if we start having these problems, remember during the Obama administration, when we didn't have Congress agree to raising the debt limit, the credit ratings agencies downgraded U.S. government debt across the world that raised interest rates. This is really a very difficult problem and dangerous for the U.S. dollar if the credit agencies look at this situation and say, these guys are like kids, they're children, they cannot play together, and if they can't agree to raising this debt limit and they start downgrading U.S. debt around the world, the U.S. dollar is in real trouble. Well, I think our listeners... uh around the world that hear these shows and other shows are getting to the point where they understand that this whole thing is just screwed up and they're just not, it's not going to get well. So I guess I can't, other than buying gold and silver coins, which you recommend, that's what you do. um, What are some things that they can do to maybe weather whatever is going to happen in the next two or three, four or five years uh, is to get out of debt for themselves that this is something well, that they need to do? depending on how they're carrying the debt. I mean, the credit card debt in America has exploded. Yeah, I know. I saw, I saw the numbers. You know, yeah. the numbers are in the trillions, and that's a little frightening that people are financing their life on their credit cards because the interest payments are insane if you don't make the payments on time. Look, the only thing I can think of is that if we can get people to hammer on their congressmen and senators to say, let's stop issuing bonds and start issuing notes instead, you know, just prevent the government from throwing debt out for 20 or 30 years and make them finance it on a short term basis, make them more obligated. Because the problem is, is that just like in the 90s, all the administrative choices that were made there came due now. 
25, 30 years later, when all those people that made those decisions, they're not in, in Congress anymore. They're not facing the responsibility of their actions. They got away with it. They, they chose to deal with the problem at a short-term basis by throwing it down the road, kicking the can down the road, putting the debt on the backs of the children and grandchildren that would grow up after them. And by the time the recognition of the issue shows up, these people that are responsible, they're long gone. I think that's a very dangerous method because it allows them to get away with um, political uh, things that I think the public wouldn't stand for if they dealt yeah. with it more frequently. Friend, so what is, I'd like to see a shift in notes than bonds. Now, in shorter terms, what would prevent the uh, the inflation rate as prices rise, which we're experiencing now, what would prevent that from not just continuing up and up and up and up and up? I mean, why would it stop? I'm trying to understand what would make it stop. Well, remember, it's a relationship between the amount of money in circulation, the growth in the economy, and the prices but, of goods and services. But, but all that's going to have to go up okay. with the painting the picture that you, what we know. They're going to have to increase the money supply. We, no doubt about it. I would think so. I, I don't see any way around it. So you know, why again, would the inflation rate stop? Well, I don't think it's going to stop. And this is the problem I think Chairman Powell is facing right now. I think he's recognizing, wow. uh, as he was speaking yesterday, that this inflation problem is not going not to quickly. Stop. It's yeah. not going to be something that they're going to solve this month or next month or six months from now. It may slow down to some degree because there'll be fluctuations in the rate of inflation, but the actual inflation problem is not going anywhere. So people can actually expect the milk and the meat and all the things we see rising eggs and whatever, to keep going little by Absolutely. little. You don't see any reason why it would stop, really. The only way that it will stop is if the economy starts growing so rapidly that the government's able to absorb enough of the additional money that they've created to slow down the gap between the amount of money floating through the economy and the growth in the economy. Wow. But the GDP ratio to that is upside down. You know, we think an inverted yield curve is dangerous. How about a GDP debt ratio that's about 123 to 1? So, you know, every dollar that we bring in, we spend a dollar 20. Even Jer uh, Jerome Powell has said this is, as his words are, unsustainable. You can't keep doing this indefinitely without facing a problem somewhere. Did he say that? And unfortunately, Did he say that? Yeah. And unfortunately, that somewhere is the cost to the general public of goods and services they're going to continue to have to buy. Hmm. So are wages keeping up with the rate of inflation? Hardly. No, but they you know, will have to, right? Pressures. They're going to have to or people will get angry and that's going to cause sure. more. So, wow. It's a bad cycle. Man, bad cycle. So so just uh, meat and potato stuff, um, The where they raise the uh, federal funds rate 50 basis points, right, to 5% yesterday, right? 25, 25 basis points. You sure? I thought they did 50. Uh, I thought they did 25. No? Okay. Well, I, I, must, have, I must have misread it. I thought they did 50 yesterday. I but, could be wrong. Or whatever. It doesn't matter. So tell folks what that means and what do they try to do. Uh, that's the amount of money that the banks have to pay to borrow, right? The Fed. Sure. Fed. So continually, if you can increase the cost of borrowing money, you can slow an economy down. If you want to move an economy forward, make money cheap. All right. You know, make money cheap one way or the other. Now, here's the thing. The government uh, not only was spending money it didn't have and, and deficit spending, and the economy wasn't growing fast enough, but the Federal Reserve took it upon itself not only to lower its key rates, its Fed funds rate and Fed discount rate, but it simultaneously also did, if you recall, quantitative easing, which was a basically an, an economic tool 
that has the same impact as lowering interest rates. It makes liquidity more available. They pumped massive, massive amounts of money into the economy through the process of quantitative easing that they are now looking to reverse. So simultaneously, the Fed is currently raising interest rates little by little and also looking to sell off its balance sheet or what we would call quantitative tightening. Mm -hmm. So to try to liquidate now the bonds that they bought when they were quantitative easing also has the same impact as raising interest rates. It makes interest rates go up because it tightens the credit market. So if the Fed is going to try to unwind its balance sheet while raising interest rates, we're going to see interest rates continue to go up. The borrowing cost of money gets higher, and that squeezes down economic activity because if the mortgage rate gets to 6% from 4%, it prices a lot of people out of those homes. If it costs more money to borrow to buy goods and services, people will not utilize the credit as much. Again, it's it's the opposite of making easy credit to drive an economy forward. You tighten credit to slow an economy down. Why in hell would they want to slow an economy down? Because the economy is running on hot inflation money that is filtering through the economy, making prices go up faster than wages. And that's creating a real big problem that the public is not happy with. Yeah. That is that cost of those eggs and bread and loaf, you know, and the food that you mentioned. These are the impacts of the inflation right. showing up in the economy to a level the public is not happy. Fred, Fred, the thing that I think for me is really concerning, if you want to want to look at a, at the big picture, wanting good things to happen, is that probably ninety. I mean, Americans don't understand what's going on. They've got no clue, right? I mean, there's no way well, they would... Well, that's always been the case. They, they, I know, but there would be no way they'd understand that any of this is really going on, right? They watch the evening news. Uh, you know, they don't see shows like this. You know, we've got a very boutique audience and, and other people that we have on. That's that's troubling, isn't it? That, uh, that It is. It's just You know, a lot crazy. of people that have money, though, are beginning to put it together because are what they? they're experiencing is that, you know, when you get a quarterly report from a you know your investments and they're constantly going down and down and down and people are saying well wait a minute i just lost you know eight percent of my money or eight twelve percent of my money down this year and that year i mean after a while people begin to recognize there's something happening that's not working and they start looking for alternatives you know i think this is the rationale behind uh people's interest in all these various things like cryptos for example right. i don't even think any of that interest would exist outside of some techno geeks if it weren't for the fact that people are, are thinking maybe i need an alternative to the u.s dollar but i think that more people understand it now than they did 30 years ago but still the number of people percentage wise that get this is tiny yeah, it's it, really tiny I and it's so. a lot to understand but i think it all harkens back to one very simple thing we have a dollar in the U.S. that is totally unbacked. We print money that has no financial backing to it, and it is on the expectation of government's future revenue and ability to pay its debt that provides any kind of stability to the, to the psychological strength in the dollar. That's why when credit agencies downgrade a world currency, it has a huge impact. It's a psychological gut punch. And we cannot experience too many of these gut punches when the U.S. dollar is beginning to fade around the world anyway, as people look suspiciously at the ridiculous amount of debt we're carrying and whether or not we have the ability to make good on our obligations. 
God forbid the U.S. government defaults on any kind of bonded debt obligation because that would Congress be a disaster. That would be a disaster. It would absolutely be a disaster. You I don't think they're right. ever going to let that happen, are they? They're never going to let that. They've happen. gotten close. <laughs> And all we need is a couple of downgrades and we have trouble. So Congress needs to get its act together quickly. They need to put the bipartisan crap aside and realize, again, when we talk about this debt ceiling, this is money already spent. We're not arguing about whether or not government should add access to new money and how they should. This is money we've written the check for floating through the mail. It's about to hit that account any day now. We have to make good on those obligations. Just from the, your cheap seats there in the bleachers, Fred, do you, do you think that there are enough people on the conservative end in all politics is performance art? We know they're all the same, but enough to um, really uh, make this whole debt ceiling thing to get something moving in the right direction? Do you think there's enough juice on the their end well here's what it. happens the it's, it's like a pressure cooker uh-huh. right uh, so the, the longer build. you sit in there the more the pressure builds up and the more that they start pushing back and not agreeing things start falling through the cracks okay so right now as we speak the the treasury has already instituted what janet yellen is calling emergency yeah. measures <laughs> which is she has stopped funding the government services administration's trust fund we're already starting to default on obligations. But these are things that are, uh, okay, they're government employees. You know, if I were a government employee and my government was telling me that pension account you've been paying into is defaulted and we're not making our good on our obligations, I would be tempted to sue the government for fiscal fiduciary irresponsibility. You know, if we get a, a kind of outcry. Now, again, these are government employees, so they'll probably stand for it. Right a lot more than people who don't work for the federal government who don't feel that obligation. So if this starts to affect the general public, the outcry is going to be enormous and overwhelming right. and instantaneous. Yeah, a- Andy uh, used to talk about, and I actually have it in my screenplay, uh, The Real World of Money, that um, the, the whole idea of means testing could be in the future of people where they would cut benefits to Social Security. Uh, do you see any... Do, any uh, uh, possibility well, of that a, in the future that's a political issue now so now we're talking about do they have the political gumption to say look we have to recognize that with a 77 trillion dollar unfunded liability between these two accounts you know perhaps it's time that we look at doing something and of course it's the third rail of politics no one wants to tell seniors that their can't tell. retirement account is subject to a political change um th- they're threatened by that and that's a huge threat because there's tremendous political power behind the seniors in America. They are wealthy people, or a lot of cases, they're just a vast number of people that vote particularly one way in the political world, and you don't want to aggravate them by telling them that you know your retirement is subject to change because politics has now dictated that we have a problem. And you know, I know you paid into it with good faith all those years, but guess what? <laughs> but guess what? We don't have the money. And it's screwed tough, up. So and it's you're tough not to win an election. It's tough to win an election without Florida, you know. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, again, now we throw that into the mix, right? We're not quite there, but 2024 is an election year. Yeah, we have basically one year left. So I kind of got the hint last night in the State <laughs> of the Union that, you know, everybody seems to be on the same page, that no one wants to touch the third rail. Yeah. So they're going to try to leave it alone. But I think at some point, means testing or some other method to address the problem, it just might become inevitable, you know, I mean, I recognize in my 30s, I could not count on the idea that Social Security was going to be there for my retirement, and I began to make plans accordingly. 
I automatically at that point in my life said, I am not going to be so blindsided by <laughs> obligations of the government and that the fact that by the time I turn 30 years from now, they, right. tell me, yeah, <laughs> they don't have the money. I mean, I kind of saw that coming. So I made retirement plans on my own. And I think individual Americans ought to do that themselves. Unfortunately, for some people, it's a little late. But for anybody that can still do this, it's the reason I advocate buying gold and silver coins as a long-term investment opportunity for people. It helps protect their long-term wealth, and at least they can provide themselves with some buying power going forward. Because if we end up with $50 trillion in debt in 10 years, what is a dollar going to buy? True. How much more will the price of gold and silver have been forced up by the difference between the value of paper money and gold and silver itself. It just seems inevitable that we have a, a problem. Unfortunately, like a bell curve, you know, when they start going up, they tend to go up much more parabolic toward the end. Right. They go up much more quickly. The time span going left to right is reduced to near zero, but the increase in the amount of money and debt is increasing very, very didn't, rapidly. Didn't that happen in the 70s where the huge... Uh, rises and it spiked there towards the end, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was ugly. Yeah. And, you know, for some people who were positioned well, they made out like bandits. Oh, because they, they, they purchased, uh, well, they uh, sold gold their gold. dollars yeah. an ounce going to, you know, uh, 800 within a matter of five or six years. Yeah. I know people that retired on that movement in that five or six years, people that bought homes and people really? that put money away for their next generations of their family based on the profits they made because they were positioned right. And, you know, again, I'm not speculating. I'm just thinking that um, wealth preservation is <clears throat> critical and diversification out of paper money seems absolutely essential essential in this econo economic environment we're in. Here's an email from Dennis in northern Utah. I live in Utah. He says, what does Fred think about Utah goldbacks? Three other states, Nevada, Wyoming, and New Hampshire, have issued them as well. Is this the same as buying bullion? It's similar, similar, although you're not taking delivery of anything. You're getting um, something that is theoretically based upon the value of gold to some degree. I love this idea of anything that provides anything, any kind of stability against the dollar. I'm a right. big fan of any kind of physical wealth, you know, even though I'm not a fan of bullion because of, I don't like the regulations. And I think the uh, the intrinsic nature of the markets lean toward the pre-33 and pre-64 silver as a far better way to do it. I still believe that any physical form of wealth that people accumulate has got to be better than gotta money. Be better. So when states like Utah and, and they issue a, a kind of a gold note, if you will, at least it's a pretense to try to say, listen, this has got to be better than just floating on back paper money. Hmm. So it is similar to the bullion market in that it would only, of course, go up in value on two basis is one the price of the underlying metal goes up or two for some reason there's actual demand for that currency that currency in its actual form you know greater than the available supplies of it i see more chatter around here and there about uh, possible more state banks states are looking into doing their own state banks like like uh north dakota right and even and some are even talking about north dakota is still in the fed system there are other states that want to do not even be in the, in the Fed system, be public citizen banks. That would be pretty yeah, good, interesting. Good luck with that. Um, yeah, you, you, know, you got to get the legislature to authorize that, right? Yeah, yeah. that's going to be a tough battle. Um, yeah. You know, the Fed's not going to allow a lot of the banking institutions to exist outside of its umbrella. But I get it. And I think this is a really interesting idea for states to issue and have their own 
state banks. Why not? You know, <laughs> South Carolina, for example, you know, we have massive amounts of money in the state that are held in New York. You know, they're held by the big investment banking firms there. The funds that are held there pay interest there. You know, a lot of that money could be deposited within the state and used accordingly. But I like the idea of the pushback. And I think these are people have to, who right? thought this yeah. through and said, you know, like you, you've brought up, you know, are there any solutions to this? What can individual people do? So sometimes you get, you know, and it would have to be a state like Utah. It would never be like New York or California. <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah. But you can get away with this in like Montana or Utah and say, well, you know, we're going to have our own state bank or we're going to issue a goal because it'll be quiet for a while. And people think, well, it's just those people. Because up they, in those could, areas. they could monetize debt just like uh, other banks and, and just do the sure. whole thing in their state. Also, there's a curious story out from Wyoming where they're passing legislation, and this is interesting, more Tenth Amendment stuff, where, and they're, they're stating real clearly, and DeSantis has talked about it, that the CDC and the, all these people and the World Health Organization, you have no jurisdiction over us whatsoever. You can do mandate, you can do all that stuff, but we ain't, we ain't playing. And uh, you're going to see more of that, too. You're going to see more of that coming, where states are just going to, you know, look at the Tenth Amendment. Well, I'm a big fan of, you know, more state authority over federal. You Again, I, I've, like I said at the outset of the show, I'm a big fan of limited government to, you know, the extent that it, we can get away with that. And I would rather see states have more authority than the federal government for a lot of issues, because at least it allows for more control within yeah. the state. You can and vote for your governor or somebody whatever. That they, they, they can see and they can <laughs> hold responsible and, right. you know, can possibly do some actions. But, yeah. you know. My, my decades in this industry have taught me one thing. Anybody who pushes back too hard is going to get squashed. <laughs> they send in the army, right, or whatever they're going to do. You know, Yeah, they don't like being messed around with. Well, Fred, yeah. I know you, you got to go to a, to a meeting. Thanks uh, thanks for being here. Tell folks. Yeah, um, just a couple quick things for anybody who wants to buy. Uh, yeah, sure. Today, the price of silver has drifted just a little bit because that um, incredibly large jobs number last Friday really? did have an impact momentarily it strengthened the dollar and as i've said before when the dollar goes up or down it's never completely in one direction it kind of ratchets so we've had a little bit of a bounce back from the recent slide in the dollar 101 on the index back to 103 it's going to start falling again but in this temporary moment while it's gone up a little bit because people were very enthused by the number of people that went back to work Silver has dropped just a little bit from about $24 down into the low 22s. I have silver quarters available right now for about the lowest premium we've had in about a year. So I have packages of silver coins available in the $2,000 to $5,000 range already put together. And then I have a couple of good deals on some of the standard $20 and $10 gold coins. So anybody who has some capital at this point, Give us a call today, 800-878-2646. We can mix and match these things, but I think this is a great time for people to accumulate physical gold and silver. So when when silver goes down like that, uh, you're able to factor that into your pricing right away? You're that flexible? Absolutely. With, wow, yep. that's cool. Because still most of the value in silver quarters and dimes it's is silver. still in their metal content. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing that we <laughs> still look at silver quarters that have you know, roughly four dollars worth of silver that you could buy for under six bucks. It's it's a phenomenal uh, area to be able to buy physical assets that have such a low premium over melt value. Yeah, it's kind of fun, and you know, there's so many silver monsters out there that have been looking for silver to really make a big move. Do you think we're going to ever see that before you go? Will we ever see it really? You know, wake up one morning, it's fifty or a hundred dollars or something. 
Yeah, I do. I, you know, because all it will take is one exogenous event, and that'll be it. Yeah. I mean, the market supplies are so tight. Look, I mean, last year we saw a single transaction rock the market for 90 days, you know, almost three and a half months. Uh, one transaction of $50 million was enough to create shortages in supply chains of the silver coins across right. the United States that lasted for, it was almost three months. I mean, any large amounts of purchases that start to venture into this area are going to wipe out supplies in a heartbeat. And the price of silver could easily escalate. Any loss of faith in the U.S. dollar, you know, listen, when silver was $4 an ounce in the 1990s, we talked about that, you know, oh, one day we might see $10, $20 silver. Well, it's, you know, about 23 24 now. And again, to see $100 silver in the next decade, I don't think that is unprecedented at all. What caused it to do that? It, it did a $50 deal some years ago. What what was that about? Do you remember? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Real, real options and futures contracts trading all simultaneously cornered the market. It was sort of like a Hunt Brothers scenario where you had massive amounts of money that took control of both the long-term option contracts and try to buy all the physical silver simultaneously. And the rush and the short-term demand was so exacerbated that it just spiked the price wow. right through the roof. Because, you know, once we hit that shortage, it becomes a scramble. You know, if I'm getting orders from people and they're saying, okay, here's $100,000, I want to buy silver, and I'm out, and the, the, the wholesalers are telling me they'll provide it to me, but they're going to want X much more, I'm probably going to pay that X much more. And if I have to then jump on top of that for the next order, I'm going to do that to fill the orders, as will every other dealer. And the next thing you know, everybody's chasing the market, and there just wasn't enough supply quickly enough to meet the demand. So it just shows you how quickly yeah. that dynamic uh, can impact the price. So it could happen at any time. But again, I, I think the investors ought to look at the long term. You know, you keep that in your back pocket that, hey, there could be a spike at any point for any given moment. But again, let's play it the long term smart play, which is just wealth protection. Yeah. If that happens, great. But if not, we're not going to be disappointed. And on that 50, when it, when it did that, how long did it take it to drop back down to where it was? Do you remember? It didn't take long. Just, you know, it took a couple months. Yeah, and it just it began to drip pretty quickly. Slowly went. Yeah. All right, kiddo. You thanks. Know, spikes like that, yeah. they, they should come down about as fast as they go up. Thanks for being here. Spring is coming to uh, Hilton Head, so that's good. It is. It's right around the corner. We're, we almost have our green wind, which is this strange little phenomenon we get here every spring. We get this sort of dusting of pollen that comes off of the local oh, good. Uh, foliage, and it turns the wind green. And it leaves this green dust all over your automobiles and houses and driveways and things. You just wake up with this sort of dusting of green. <laughs> it's interesting, but it's an indicator spring is coming. And we saw the first of that this week. Hmm. So we're right around the corner from a beautiful spring. What fun. Thanks, Fred. Take care of yourself. We'll see you real soon. Let us know if we can help. Be bye. well, Patrick. Bye-bye. Fred Jaszewski, The Real World of Money. And we're going to give you his uh, phone number again before we leave here. It's uh, 800-878-2646. Okay, we're going to do a little break here. Um, I'm just going to run downstairs and get some water. Uh, ran out of water, and then we're going to come back and we have some things to, to talk about that I think you'll find interesting regarding the body and fasting and um, some other things. So stay right there, and if you care to join us, uh, you can call 888 It's about 11, 12. Give us about three or four minutes, and we'll be right back here. So stay there on audio and also on video, and I'll be right back with you. Has some fun things to talk about. This is uh, Patrick Timponi. May the blessings be. Thank you. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, 
This is one radionetwork.com. <laughs>